Occupants of Interplanetary Craft. Welcome to episode two of the podcast from Mars. My name is Jason Camiolo. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've got Jim Baki on the line from Los Angeles. Yo, yo. Mark DiCarlo in New York. Hey, hey. And today, from Portland, Oregon, <laughs> Brett Rothfeld. Howdy. The return. The return. Four different states. Welcome. This is the first time we've all been in uh, in like some sort of connection in like probably fifteen years, right? Or tw- at the same time, the, the same- entire original. Yeah, band? it was like absolutely. Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah, too long. And this podcast has escalated quickly because if you've been playing along at home, this is only episode two. Episode one started with the three of us. Jim, Mark, myself, the cult stars from Mars. That's our new project. This episode, episode two, we have not one, not two, but three special guests. Nice. So, Beautiful. I, I don't know who's running this thing, but great job. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> yep. Right? Yeah. So um, let's get into it. It's been a very, very busy week because we put out our first single. And we were originally, we were going to have... The single was supposed to come out with the video after this podcast, but as it worked out with one of our special guests, Mike Portnoy, it's no secret now, you know it's out, so I could say it. (laughs) Mike had a single out uh, that was coming out on our original release date, and we didn't want to compete with that. So we moved it to June 12th, and it's out now, and uh, here we are. So it's been getting a great response. And uh, he, he gave it a little bit of a push. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of, a you know, a lot of attention. Bit. Um, bit, yeah. So uh, turns out that guy's got a fan base. Yeah, he does. And we can't thank him enough. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, exciting. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He hit um, 400,000 followers yeah, today that. That was cool. on Instagram. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Well, he's going to come up a little bit uh, later in the show, but I wanted to first uh, talk about the single and getting Brett back because I say getting Brett back because once again, if you didn't listen to the first episode, we were originally a band called Fuzzbubble, the four of us. And, um, you know, it was, it was cool to have the original band come back on the first, on the first single, which, cause again, that wasn't really the plan. You know, we were just going to start this new thing. Right. So Brett, when, you know, we were talking about this. I think we touched on this a little bit in the, in the first episode, but we, you know, the way we were kind of used to working as a band was similar to this, you know, not in being a part, but in the sense that, you know, Jimmy would basically demo a song uh, yeah. pretty much entirely, you know, with scratch vocal and whether it had a drum machine or whatever, and usually come up with a lot of, you know, bass and guitar parts or whatever. And then we would work it out together as a band. So at what point, like, at what point did you get the track? What, what form was it in? It was all of Jimmy's demo? Um, yeah, I got it. It was all of Jimmy's demo. I think it had some type of, like, easy drummer or some program drums on there. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. before Mike cut his drums. And I think it had, yeah, it had Jimmy's rough vocal on there. And 
I, I got that about two weeks, a few weeks prior to Mike cut doing his stuff. So I was sort of home just practicing it on my own. I made a little chord chart and I just, I, you know, whenever I got around to it, I would just go over the song. And then when Mike laid his drums, that's when I applied myself and actually, you know, put, put some time into recording it. So I, I spent one full day really getting it tight. And then the following day I spent recording it and just doing a few, a few punch-ins and EQing and putting some little distortion, some uh, Sansamp plug-in and some EQ and compression on it nice. to deliver to Jam. Ah, you use the Sansamp plug-in, huh? That's a secret weapon. Yep. Secret comes out. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I, I got to say, they're, the new stuff they're putting out is, I mean, their Getty Lee one, is it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I want to get, I don't think the plugins are available for Logic. They're only for Pro Tools as far as I know. Yeah, I've seen the Getty Lee pedal. I'm really interested in it. Yeah, the the guy that um, there's a guy in a Rush band called Why Why Not, and he's a Long Island oh, that guy. guy. That guy's yep. amazing. He does a great rig rundown. Very, that guy's uh, thorough. And 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 you know what? He he just moved. He was living in Florida. He just moved to New Jersey and works for Tech Twenty One now. So he that wasn't. Do, oh, wow. He's an endorsement. Yeah. I, I, follow him on Facebook and I've talked to him. He was actually in a Long Island band called Hot Shot. Oh, he was in Hot Shot? Yeah. I remember Hot Shot, yeah. Right? I was like, I messaged him on Facebook. I'm like, you from Mike Pond's Hot Shot? He's like, yeah. I go, damn. Wow. That, that guy plays Getty Lee like no one I've ever seen. He's amazing. So He is amazing. And I want to get my hands on one of those Sans Amp things. So yeah, I'm glad you had it because it's it's a great sounding. We used that back in the day at, at the Sandbox. Yep. Yeah, and Rick, Rick Parker yep. had one of those. Yeah, so they're. I, I I should get the Getty Lee model thing. It's really and cool. it's it's also all over the the fuzz bubble. That is record. the fuzz bubble bass yeah. sound. Totally. That is yeah yeah. I I forgot about originating that. originating from that uh, the the Gene Simmons alive tone you said right because <laughs> it had that kind of well, yeah because it had that I mean on steroids kind of but yeah. I like distortion on bass. Yeah. This way, we can make the guitars less distorted, exactly. and you, you get a nice sound. Yeah. Um, that, that is kind of the, when I started writing the fuzz bubble songs originally, um, that was kind of the idea, like go like more chimey and clangy on the guitars yeah. and let the balls be the bass with some distortion and some nice low end and high mm. fuzzy, you know, so it, uh, it's a great sound. So I'm glad you used that. That's really cool. Yeah. I figured it would fit the, the tone. It did. Speaking of Long Island, this entire project from all four of us, the original members of Fuzzbubble, to the director of the video, Mike Starr, Mike Portnoy on drums, all Long Islanders. Yeah. Nice. Long Island in the house. Right? And Brett, did you yes. did you work at Uncle Phil's? I with, did. With Mike Portnoy? Yep. I did briefly. He um yeah, it was probably around 1989 or so. He worked there, and, um, and our good friend Joe as well, Joe Randazzo. Joe Randazzo, shout out. Okay, now Uncle yeah. Phil's is uh, for the those who not do not know. Was it was it a chain of record stores, or he just owned like two or three? 
there was two locations, one in Levittown and one in Massapequa. And Mike and I worked at the Levittown location. And we used to hang out and talk about music. And he was he was very knowledgeable. So he would hit me to all kinds of cool records from the 70s, like fusion records. And he was into all kinds. He had a very diverse uh, taste in music. So he really got me into a lot of really interesting things. So I'm grateful to him for that. That's cool, man. And then he would invite me down to dream theater practices after work. And I eventually um, started to roadie for them. I was John Myung's bass roadie for about a year or so. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know, that. know that. Yeah, wow. when they were, yeah. Oh, I never told you that. <laughs> no, no. When they um when they were playing gigs at Sundance, when they in, they were like in between singers, so they were doing these instrumental gigs. I remember and, that. Yeah, and trying out various singers. So I roadied for him for a bunch of those shows, and then um he, he, I took lessons with him as well. So I would go to his over his place and we plug into his four track and. That we would is go crazy. over arpeggios. We'd go through like the Jeff Berlin arpeggio book. And they were, <laughs> were, were they Majesty or was it Dream Theater? It was Dream Theater. They had already had one record out. Yeah. But the old singer who was in Frankie and the Knockouts. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, totally different kind of band. So yeah, it's like, it's so cool that it's everybody from the same place. It's like, we all kind of understand each other's language, you know? So Brett, at, at what point in time then did you realize that we're actually going to do a video for this? I think when we when me and you spoke on the phone, at first you mentioned something about a video, but I was like, I don't know if it's going to happen. So I sort of just, you know, I kind of just filed it away. <laughs> uh, originally, we thought this was going to be like a Skype, and we'll talk about um, how this evolved with the director. But originally, I thought, yeah, when you cut the track, maybe just run your iPhone and take some footage. That way, in case we put something together— you know, we could have you playing your part. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing it, I mean, it wasn't pretty. It was a lot of stop, stopping and starting. And yeah, <laughs> right, well, that's right. for all of us, so, you know. So I, that's I, reality. I yeah, yeah, I figured. So I wasn't gonna. It it was to to film and actually get get a good performance out of myself was gonna be a little challenging. So I figured I would do it after the fact. Right. And now that I had a completed track, so um, yeah, then I, I I cleared out some space in my little studio basement here, and. Um, figured out what I was going to wear. And then I realized that I'm, I got my, I got a picture of myself on camera and I'm a little more out of shape than I'd like to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I decided it's the quarantine. Oh, it's the COVID-19 <laughs> pounds. That's what I got. <laughs> so I, I, I opted for all black. You, you look great. You don't have, you listen, you don't have to disclose those kinds of showbiz secrets. With us. <laughs> that's for you. I'm man. bearing my soul, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, what did you think of the video? Because here's the thing, like, right, we didn't work on this together. We didn't have like an outline for a video. We weren't in the same places. So like, were you surprised when you saw the cut of the video? I was really happy with it. I think it looks amazing. Yeah. I was sort of, it's too. somewhere between like a 70s, like show open and like a, like a Beastie Boys video. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Yeah. That's kind of what we were... Right up your alley, yeah. man. Right yeah. up our in, my, in my wheelhouse. In your, yes, in your wheelhouse. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I did play the the bass that I played on the track is different than in the video. Full disclosure, um, I played the, the old fuzz bubble P bass, the seventy nine P. That's what you're hearing. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you okay. were going to play the Ibanez because you told me you might play that Ibanez. I was stoked about the Ibanez, but I, I am. Am I distorting, by the way? Because my levels are looking hot on my. No, but I could put a little sand sample on you. <laughs> <want>. oh, thanks. <laughs> Rid it up a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I AB the jazz bass and the P bass 
before I started recording and for the track the, the P bass just sounded better for this. So, what what yeah. sort of stuff have you been playing? Were, like were you doing like power pop stuff there up in Portland for the last few years or what, like what kind um, of what kind of gigs were you involved in? My main gig, my day gig is working on video games. I edit dialogue for 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 games. So that so I work from home. It keeps me busy. So like with the pandemic and the isolation, my day-to-day has not changed a whole lot. But um, I was feeling the urge to get back into playing music, which I, I kind of took a long break from. And so before the lockdown, I'd been jamming with people and I've played a handful of gigs with various bands. Um, singer-songwriter, sort of country-flavored and like uh-huh. Grateful Dead-ish. Kind of my friend, a good friend of mine, a neighbor, he wrote a bunch of songs and I'd go over his garage once in a while and we'd, mm-hmm. we'd play. Um, just kind of... Uh, more country singer songwriter stuff, and then I was in like an R and B group for a little while with a. a so how about coming back to the fuzz bubble stuff? Like, do you feel like you fell right back into this, it? So this song had a few more changes than I was used to playing lately. Uh-huh. So I actually had, I made some notes. Um, the bridge I found was really interesting. I, lo- I like the uh, when it goes from the B flat to the F sharp to the B, that whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so so to answer your question, Jay, yeah, the um, uh. The, the I found the fuzz bubble stuff has a lot more uh, nuances and some tricky chord changes that that I had to sort of snap to and and that I wasn't finding in a country band. I sort of had, I had to apply myself. I had to buckle down and yeah, it's cool, man. Well, it's it, the track sounds great. I mean, my only uh, regret is that we didn't you know we weren't able to all cut this the way we used to be able to in a studio together. It would would have been amazing for all of us to be in the same rooms at the same time, you yeah, know, but um, it's, it sounds awesome. Um, what about uh, anything else that you want to let us know that you're doing uh, outside of music? What about the the engineering gig? You got anything cool um, you're working on? I'm mostly working on games. Some of the stuff I can't really disclose at the moment, but there's a few Top big secret. releases. Yeah, you'll, I'll put it out on social media when it comes out. All right, all right. Didn't you just recently win some kind of award though for a, for a game that you worked on? That was last year. I got a, like a best like di- just excellence in dialogue editing. Nice. I, guess. I like it. Whatever that. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah, that's man. That's awesome. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> well, it was great to have you back to be on a project with us. It was amazing for it to be the Dragonfly Part Two to kind of bring this full circle. We didn't know at the time, you know, when this was first coming together, the whole Cult Stars for Mars idea, that it would turn into this and have all of us from Long Island returning together. That's pretty yeah. amazing. So yeah. I got to say, when I got the bass track, I was like, damn, that sounds tight, man. It was really, it was like right on with the drums and nicely played. Yeah, you did a great job, man. It oh, sounds- thanks, man. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was nice like, to hear. He dropped you. right in. I'm like, wow. I don't. I didn't have to edit anything. Like sometimes you got to move stuff around, and it's like, nope. This is like spot you, dude. You were like right on the money with him. So oh, right on with, with Mike. So it was, yeah, it was great, great, great job. Well, I'm hoping to do some more. Yeah, definitely. Good, good, good. So Brett, if uh, if anybody wants to uh, connect with you, do you have like some socials or or a website or something that you want us? Um, put out into the world? Just, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You could just look okay. me up, Brett Rothfeld, R-O-T-H-F-E-L-D. Right on. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty easy to find. <laughs> cool, man. Well, we don't want to divulge too much of the other secrets that are coming down the pike, but uh, I'd venture to say that we'll see you again soon. Yep. Yeah? Great. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I'm stoked. Let's do it. Cool.
That was great. It's good to hear from Brett again. Our second ever special guest on Podcast from Mars is Michael Starr. Michael is a musician, a producer, a writer-director, and his latest film, Cicada Song, is the story of a young woman left for dead in the wilderness who struggles to survive after uncovering a dark secret about the people in her middle America hometown while searching for her missing Latina lover and a migrant child who disappeared without a trace. It's getting great reviews. It's won a bunch of Best of Festival awards in the Catalina Film Festival, Highland Park, Glendale International Film Festival. It's just doing great everywhere it enters. It stars Lindsay Lance, Kim Reed, Joseph Bottoms, and Jenny Mesa. It's even got some music by Jim in the soundtrack. And it's available on all the platforms. Amazon, Apple TV, iTunes, Vudu, YouTube, Google Play. I'll put all the links in the show notes on the Podcast from Mars page on SoundCloud. Mike's also a longtime friend of the bands. He grew up on Long Island with us in New York, and it's great to have him here. Mike, how are you doing? Uh, excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, of course. So the video's, uh, it's out. And uh, it's getting great response. Jim, why don't you tell us how the whole idea came to be? Well, it started as a, hey, maybe we should have a lyric video. You know, there's something on YouTube besides just nothing and the song. So a lot of people do the lyric videos. And I mentioned that we were doing the song to Mike and Mike said, I, I, we can do one of those one of those uh, quarantine videos that everyone's doing, that would be fairly simple. You guys just shoot it with your iPhones. So that's how it started. And then, <laughs> and then it evolved. Well, I think it was Mike Portnoy's video that kind of kicked off the whole, hey, if we do a quarantine video, you know, Mike's already got one. He did one just off the cuff without asking. So I was like, well, we should all do that. And then I can put together something simple. Uh, and I think we were going for more of like, we started off talking about doing something retro and Jim had some ideas of these late sixties, early seventies, like cop intro, uh, you know, police, Charlie's angels and, you know, the rookies secret agent, man. I think we settled on, uh, kind of an amalgamation of them, but with, Mannix being the main theme, you know, kind of these boxes flying in and out with different images and doing credits for each band member and special guest stars. And what started off as your basic quarantine everyday video became this, you know, retro TV show intro where we actually decided that we were going to shoot scenes from the the show and plug it in to enhance just the musicians playing. Right. The The idea was imagine if we had shot a pilot. Yeah. And this was exactly. actually a show. Yeah. <laughs> and then next thing I know, I was getting like a shot list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Mark, I think that's your fault. That's true. You know, yeah. when Mark did that first take of him, like singing into the camera and, and pretending to be on stage and, and, you know, we had Jim's videos and they were more studio-esque. Mark was more performing on that level. And I said to Jim, I was like, I think that's what we need. And I'm like, let's do something like that where everybody's just kind of rocking out to the music in their bedrooms or their, you know, their studios or whatever. And it's. Yeah. Initially, yeah, initially, you know, I think you, you mentioned just, you know, get the shot of you singing with the headphones sitting down and, you know, like that. 
And I, I actually, I actually sat and did that. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. I'm just going to perform. I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, I'm just going to set it up and like, just play, you know? <laughs> so, you know, and I'm glad I'm like, I'm not doing, I'm like, I'm not, this is what you get. So I'm yeah, not, I'm not fucking his- doing the headphone thing that, cause you see everyone's doing, you know, not to knock everyone, but everyone's just sitting, yeah. sitting down and like kind of singing into <laughs> the mic and stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, it's just, it didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it seemed it's like a silly. Pretty adamant about it too. He really yeah. put his foot down. No. Like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and I, not and doing I, it. I think I called you right away because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. No, yeah. you know, I saw a bunch of other videos, and and there's a lot of parallel thought going on with these videos. It's like everybody's doing one, and they're getting creative with how they're sectioning out their boxes and how they're doing these certain things. But I really haven't seen anything kind of like this out there, and I think that's what's really gonna you know, kind of make this a quarantine video of a different color. Well, I'm no glad you pushed for that, uh, that kind of shot also. So I'm uh, thanks to you, Mike. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. Cause once we, once we decided, well, now we're making a video, not a quarantine video, yeah. uh, a zoom video. Yeah. And yeah. Mannix was really like, when we got stuck, we would go like, okay, what would Mannix do? And we'd go back to the Mannix video. Yeah. And, you know, we borrowed a lot from that Mannix video intro is so cool. I'm like, yeah. that's kind of got all of the elements. It's got the color boxes. It's got graphics. It's got guys running. And, you know, now I'm jumping, running down my steps and jumping over the railing and trying not to kill myself <laughs> doing shots. <laughs> Jay's jumping off of walls and karate yeah, kicks and, I, and so much fun though, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that was the one thing also is like after, you know, after we had, you know, Jay's footage, we're like, Hey, can you just shoot a couple of more things? And and Jay comes back with like an hour worth of reshoots <laughs> <laughs> where I'm like, Oh, this is amazing because it's like, well, now I have so many good things to choose from. It's like, what's the best of the best that we're going to use? Just send me the shot list for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to start filming. <laughs> and then, you know, going back to Mark and saying, hey, man, can you do like, you know, can you do like a Saturday Night Fever strut? Can you, you know, can you punch the camera with some karate moves? And, you know, <laughs> I, I think we, we just kind of said, all right, well, how are we going to use this to its full extent? And overplay it to the point of cheese, but still make it the coolest video that we could possibly do in quarantine. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You know, we should say that you are a filmmaker. You're you're mostly a director with Cicada Song out now. It's getting great reviews on all the platforms, winning a bunch of awards. But um, do you think that maybe this maybe this could start a music video career for you? Um, I've always been a lover of, of music videos, especially the ones that tell a story or have something interesting about them. So, you know, I mean, that's always, that's always been kind of like a fun thing to do. It's, it's a short, it's a short film essentially. And the product is done in a reasonable amount of time. So yeah, I like doing, um, short, short films and videos and music videos and things of that nature. Absolutely. Well, we think you did a great job with uh, very little resources, really, like we said, because we couldn't get together. We couldn't meet on location. We did this all remotely. Um, So, yeah, I think you did a great job. If any other 
bands or anybody for that matter is uh, looking for someone with your skills, where, where can they find you? Uh, they can reach me in two places. Uh, one of them is cicadasongmovie.com. It's uh, C-I-C-A-D-A-S-O-N-G-M-O-V-I-E.com. And they can reach me through the email there. Or they can reach me at cicadasong1 at gmail.com. Cool. And I'll put all the links to the various platforms where they can see the movie and download it and all that stuff. I'll put in the show notes of our SoundCloud page. Very cool. So, uh, Mike, uh, I look forward to doing another one with you. I think uh, we all feel the same. So thanks, Mike. You did a great job. Yeah, man. Woo. Fantastic. I appreciate that. It was my pleasure. And don't forget to check out the video on YouTube. Up next, we have drummer Mike Portnoy. But first, let's play the single. This is Dragonfly Part 2.
Well, there you have it. That's Dragonfly Part 2 by Cult Stars from Mars. That's our first single. It was written by Jim Bakke, who also played lead guitar and sang background vocals on it. Mark DiCarlo sang lead and played guitar. Brett Rothfeld played bass. He's from our previous band, Fuzzbubble. And uh, I stepped aside from the drum throne on this one, and I played keyboards and sang background vocals. The reason why I'm not playing drums is because another drummer from Long Island, a phenomenal drummer, said he was interested in playing on some tracks with us. And we were like, yeah, of course, anytime. So if you live under a rock and you've never heard of this guy, Mike Portnoy is one of the founding members of Dream Theater. He was with the band for 25 years. He's played with a million people. Uh, right now, he's currently the drummer. You ready for this? He's the drummer of Sons of Apollo, The Winery Dogs, Transatlantic, Flying Colors, BPMD, The Neil Morse Band, Metal Allegiance. It's crazy. You got to go to MikePortnoy.com and check out all the stuff he's working on. It's ridiculous. Uh, he's won 30, 30 Modern Drummer Magazine Reader's Poll Awards, including the Hall of Fame inductee in 2004 MVP of the year in 2010 and 2013, best progressive rock drummer for a record 13 times, 13 times he was voted best progressive rock drummer. That's insane. Uh, he's voted best clinician twice, best educational video and DVD. Like seriously, I could spend a week reading you guys credits. So um, yeah, go to mikeportnoy.com, follow him on social media you'll see like he's posting something brand new like every day. So let's just talk to him. Without any further ado, please welcome our guest, Mike Portman. Hey! What's up, guys? Mike, how's it going? It's going good. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So listen, man, right off the bat, like thank you so much, first of all, for playing on the track. That was amazing. Yeah. Honored to have you on that. Absolutely. My pleasure. The pleasure's mine. Thank you. And and then, of course, to have you here as well. You know, this is only our second episode of the podcast. So this is a, a real, uh, this is a major upgrade. <laughs> right. Big time. Version 2.0 is way better than version one. Yeah. It's like going from the clubs to the arenas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. In two gigs. Oh, wait till you get to the stadiums, boys. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And, and thank you for letting me take over the drum throne. I almost feel bad about it. Oh, come on, please. <laughs> That's not necessary. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, there are probably a lot of people who are tuned in for this podcast to hear you and have been turned on to us because of you and you being so generous with the socials and all that stuff. And so again, we're grateful for that. Um, I definitely encourage people to tune into the first episode of the podcast so they can learn more about us and the, the previous band Fuzzbubble. Yeah, absolutely. But I would imagine that the looming question for all the people listening is how the hell did we get Mike Portnoy to play drums in our band? <laughs> it's easier than you think. All, all Jim had to do was ask. So let's talk about that. You know, I think for me anyway, I remember going back a few months ago and I saw you, you made a post on Instagram about your favorite power pop records. Mm. And, uh, and you guys are one of them. Well, yeah. And we were shocked. You know, I mean, most of those records are our favorites too. So to see, you know, our album 
in the batch of your favorites, we were like, wow, that's crazy. And that was really like the impetus for Jim to be like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to ask him. Yeah. And uh, I think he saw that you were playing on a Chips record too, right? Yeah, I, I just did a track for uh, for Chip for, I guess it's the upcoming Enough's Enough album. And believe it or not, Chip is actually my cousin now. He married my cousin. So what? we're kind of family now. Oh my no way. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's how that came about. I just spoke to him yesterday. Oh, he really? actually called and he, yeah, and, and uh, he mentioned, he's like, oh yeah, he played drums on my record and stuff. Do you know what song you played on? What was the name of the track? Uh... Is it uh, one just one track? Yeah, just one track. It was uh, "It's All in Vain." That's the name of the song. "It's All in Vain." Cool, total, awesome. total Beatles vibe. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I used my Ringo kit for that. And, um I love all yeah. the um, drum kits. I, I, oh, yeah. I really love that too. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, the house is like it's crazy. Well, the kit I used for um, "Dragonfly Part Two was my Bonham kit. I actually used because yes. I was when when you when you hit me up to do that track, I was actually doing some recording for Neil Morse's. So um, and I was us- utilizing the Big Bonham kit, so uh, I tracked your song on that kit as well. I wasn't sure if I should use the Beatles kit or the Bonham kit, but I was already on the Bonham kit, and I thought it would be fun. Yeah, I- I'm, and I'm a big fan of that particular drum sound, so I was all good with it. It sounded great. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought you were going to use the Yellow Matter Custom yeah, kit for sure. I was torn, but um, it sounds great, man. Yeah, man. So do you have um, you have your own this Tama model, um kit or signature stuff or anything like that yeah i have a, a signature snare drum with tama it's called the melody master and named it after my daughter she was born in 97 she's 23 now but uh at, shortly after she was born i put out my signature snare so i named it after her and then then with sabian i have my own signature max. symbols and they're called the max <laughs> stacks yep. and splashes named after my son who was born in 99 so yeah, and then I have my own 420 sticks, and everyone thinks that's because I'm a stoner, but it's actually my birthday, <laughs> a- uh, April 20th. <laughs> cool. Yeah, But yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge, going back to what, what you were saying at the start, I mean, I'm a huge power pop fan. Yeah. A lot of people just kind of pigeonhole me as this prog guy or this metal guy, but really, I, I, I have a huge, huge soft spot for power pop. And, you know, I love everything from Sloan to, to Jellyfish to you know, Ben Folds and Weezer and Badfinger and, and, you know, sure enough, uh, the fuzz bubble album you guys did 20 years ago or whatever it was, is, is one of my favorite power pop albums. Absolutely. Hands down. So yeah, to get, you know, when, when Jim asked if I'd be interested in, in, you know, well, to backtrack with you guys getting back together, which was great news. But then when he asked me to play, it was like a no brainer, of course, would love to. That's yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, my question is how did you originally get or hear the fuzz bubble record. Cause I, I hadn't seen you in a long time. I I was out here since 95 and we, was it maybe T boy? You know, that's a great question. Cause I'm not sure. I mean, obviously uh, I knew Jim since what, probably the late eighties. Yeah. Like Cause you were 88 or so. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were in a band called Hitman yeah. in Long Island yep. and it was right as dream theater. We were still majesty at the time, I think even, and we were, we were just coming around, but but Hitman, you guys were kind of in the vein of like Queensryche or mm-hmm. that kind of, and that was totally where our heads were at, you know, when we were starting Dream Theater back then. Right. And uh, we became friends. I, I think I remember meeting you maybe even at a Fates Warning show or video shoot or something like that. I think, weren't you friends with Fates as well? Yeah, we, we used to play with them in, in Connecticut. and uh, right. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. Where, I, don't rem- I don't remember where I met I, I, you, but it was like one of the clubs or something. But but we we became friends in the late '80s and the early '90s, and then uh, 
Yeah, and then I remember you had that band One Groovy Coconut, I believe. Yep. And then we kind of lost we lost touch. You know, I guess the internet wasn't around yet, so I guess if you're not calling, picking up the phone and calling somebody, right. you know, you, it's easy to lose touch back then. And uh, But somehow I got the Fuzz Bumble album. I can't remember. Maybe it was T-Boy or so, uh, whoever it was that gave it to me knew how much I loved, like, Jellyfish and, and you know, Beatles and all that kind of stuff, and they knew I would dig it. And I, awesome. I had no no idea, Jim, that you were doing that kind of stuff because I just associated you with Hitman and doing like the Queensrÿche Fates Warning Dream Theater kind of stuff. Right. I had no idea that you had this this power pop side of you, and I Im- immediately fell in love with this album. I mean, I played it to death when wow, I first got that's, it. That's so awesome, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's funny. I when you know I, I still had Hitman going, and we we reunited recently, and and you know, we did another record that's coming out in September. And, um, but I remember, uh, Dirk coming down to practice one time saying, I saw this really cool band on MTV. It was like 1990. And he's like, what do they call? They remind me of queen and the partridge family. He's like, Oh, they're <laughs> called, they're called jellyfish. I'm like, okay. I said, mm. wow, that, that sounds interesting. Cause by the end of the late eighties, I was meddled out. You know, it was, it was right. so much of it. And I was just like, always looking for, I was listening to other bands like Living Color and Dan Reed Network and, and you know, branching out mm. my taste. Cause, you know, I spent a good solid, you know, decade of my life, just, you know, Michael Shanker and, and Rush and, you know, Iron Maiden and Juice Priest. It's just like you, you know? Um, right. And totally. I, I was just taking other interests in different things. And I heard that Jellyfish record and like, like I said, in the, in the last podcast, I think you and probably a lot of other people said, you know, just kind of went, Whoa, what is that? I mean, it was just so well done. I think that's why a lot right. of metal people like jellyfish. Cause well, to me, jelly that, you know, when I heard jellyfish, it was like a melting pot of all my favorite bands. It's like, there you have the Beatles and the beach boys and queen yeah. and Badfinger and, and, and all these bands, this giant melting pot of all these influences. And it's like, what this is like, a, a conglomeration of everything I love about and music. And then basically dressed up like your favorite Saturday morning, Sid and Marty right. Croft totally. show. So. Exactly. It was like HR <laughs> Puffin stuff meets, you know, the Partridge family. It was like so cool. And super proficient musicians. That, that's the thing. I, that. I think yeah. that's why a yeah. lot of people that play metal, like kind of heard that and said, wow, it's, it's not just frivolous pop music. It's like, extremely well done. Like when you get to that bridge part of the King is half undressed, you kind of just mm. draw hits the floor and you go, wow, who, who, who thought of that? You yeah. Know? You're hearing the, hearing the pet sound timpani yeah. and the, and the harpsichord. And Amazing. Hey, by, by the way, speaking of that, the bridge of King is half undressed. Have you heard this poppy song? This there's a, a chick. She's kind of like a Billie Eilish chick called poppy. And she's got a song on her latest album that literally lifts the bridge from the king is half undressed it's crazy <laughs> like literally like yeah, no like, for note, like shameless for note huh? and the produ- uh-huh. yeah with the production wow. and everything and it, it just a, a little side note here it's worth checking out it's it, her name is poppy and the song is called concrete but your jaw is going to hit the floor when you hear this i i can't wow. believe that that roger yeah. or, or uh you know roger or jason or, or andy haven't <laughs> hit her <laughs> well, up yet I'm cu- I'm, now i'm curious yeah <laughs> But wow, that's crazy. So before I forget, I just want to give a, a quick shout out, not to go jump ahead, but you know, so I hadn't spoken to you in a long time. So when I did the Hitman reunion in 2018, 
we played at Blackthorn 51 and our friend John Rupp was, is the state, you know, the stage manager there and everything. And we struck up a friendship and he said, Hey, when you get back from Germany, when are you getting back? And I'm like, Oh, April, whatever. He's like, sons of Apollo is going to be playing at Anaheim house of blues. You should go. I'll hook you up with passes so you could go see Mike. And I'm like, cool. So that was the kind of the first time. So thanks to John Rupp, any of this is happening. And he's a, He's a great guy. I'm going to give a shout out to his band Magus Beast and all that. And he's a stage manager for Metal Allegiance. And I got to tell you, those shows are so much fun to stand on the side of the stage for. Because ah, yeah. it's like it, it, it's like you got eight different singers and they're all kind of singing a song, jumping off high five. And it's sort of like watching a hockey game, like the third line. Jump. Yeah, it's totally. so much fun. And then, you know, like the last time watching Dave Lombardo do Angel of Death was just like... Well, I, yeah. I, I went back there and everyone had gone behind him to take video of him doing it. And it was just like, yeah. and luckily <laughs> I, I, when Tom Sawyer came up, I, I was like, I got to get Mike doing the, the drum fill. And, and I'm glad right. I did. So yeah, those, those, those shows are so much fun. And, yeah, and those, those shows are awesome if you're on in the audience, but they're even more awesome if you're on the I, yeah, stage. Like you said, everybody's <laughs> coming and going. And then when you're not playing or singing or whatever, you're hanging out on the side, you know, rooting everybody on and just getting into it and headbanging. So, yeah, it's the ultimate it, metal. It really, it, the camaraderie, seeing the camaraderie. And, I, you know, I sit there and I think about it and like those bands have known and played shows with each other for like almost 30 years. Some of them, you know, Chuck, yeah. Billy. Oh, yeah. More than 30 so years. yeah, totally. Just to watch that kind of like, wow, these are guys are old touring mates and friendships. And I was like, damn, mm-hmm. that was so cool to see, you know? And of course, 30 people on stage playing the trooper at the end is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just so insane. It's like, you gotta be there to see it. It's so cool. So, um, but yeah, yeah thanks well, thank to John you. for, uh, um, um, for, for, uh, putting me back in touch with you and thank you, John. doing all this. Yeah. I had, I hadn't seen you in forever and I saw, uh, uh, Chuck, that's his name, the drummer from Hitman, yep. is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah, the first show I did with Twisted Sister when I started playing with them, like 2015 or 16, he was actually doing the pyro, yeah, uh, at the show. Guy. So, yeah, but I hadn't I hadn't seen you in forever, and I I, I remember I heard that Mike had passed away, yeah, and, uh, yeah, but otherwise I really hadn't heard from you in a long, yeah. long time. I think I saw you once or twice at Nam, and mm-hmm. and usually it's like. Hey, Jim. Hey, Mike. And then you got like 80 people around you asking for autographs. And I'm like, all right, man, good to see you. You know, (laughs) that must be a fun yet harrowing thing for you to, 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 to. Well, I, I, I kind of, like I said to you before we started this last couple of years, I'll go out there and play whatever shows I have to do metal allegiance or whatever else is, you know, happening over the weekend. But if I can avoid having to go in, yeah. <laughs> uh, I try to, cause it's just, it's just insanity. And now, especially, uh, you know, I think coming out of it, this last, it, you'd always get Namthrax as it is where you get sick, <laughs> but now you, the, I, we I had the it. added bonus of yeah. coronavirus this, this year as well. So, you know, and me no, and Jay yeah. are both convinced that we actually got the coronavirus at Nam Cause I got really yeah, sick I, after Nam. I did too. I was really sick because we went right from the Nam thing to uh, the Sons of Apollo tour, and that uh, that Sons of Apollo tour in America, I was I was pretty sick. So I wouldn't be surprised if if it was something associated with that. Yeah. When you play on a like a power pop thing, like what's uh, what is your kind of uh, 
thought method is like how you're going to approach the song. Cause it's obviously a lot different than what you're typically known for doing. Um, but it's such a natural part of me too. I right, mean, like, okay. you know, when I did yellow matter custard, my Beatles thing, um, it was, I don't, I didn't have to think about it. Just that style is, is just such a big part of me that if I sit behind a four piece kit, I'm naturally going to just play that way. Um, so, you know, playing your tune was just getting into that, that kind right. of character, right. character. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I did uh, four different tribute bands with Paul Gilbert. We did a, the who Zeppelin rush and the Beatles. And in each one of them, I had wow. these replica kits, but the point is like you sit down behind a Ringo kit, you're going to play like Ringo. You sit down behind a bottom kit. You're going to play like bottom. Same with the Keith moon kit or Neil Peart kit, right. you know? So it immediately transforms you into that headspace and doing these power pop songs, whether it be with you or, uh, you know, any of these covers I've done, the Jellyfish or the Lennon or even the Ramones or whatever, you know, you just kind of have to play a certain way for a song. It's, it's, it's about playing for the song first and yep, foremost, Hundred percent. you know, like it's yep. not about showing off chops. It's not about having a big drum kit. It's about, okay, here's a song, you know, I just covered baby blue by Badfinger on this, this cover to cover album. And it's like, you don't change those drum parts. You play them like Badfinger. Right? Right. You know, we covered Life on Mars by Bowie. It's like, you got to play it that way. That's like, you can't not. Yeah. It's just, a, you know, you got to play for the song. You love music and you also love songs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I know that sounds silly, but they are kind of like two different things. And, you know, usually you get somebody in one of those camps. I, You know, frankly, I consider myself like that. You know, I'm more in like, you know, trying to be a Bunny Carlos Ringo Starr, right. Clem Burke mm -hmm. character for the Fuzzbubble stuff. You know, I, I have more chops than I usually use for a Fuzzbubble song, but... It's not called for. Right. Well, to me, that's a sign of a good musician. A sign of a good musician is not chops and technique. A sign of a good musician is somebody that listens, you know, l listens to things, listens to the other players, listens to the song, and plays for the song. And that's why Ringo was one of my biggest heroes. And people are like... Why? You know, Ringo wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles, as the joke goes. But it's like, no, <laughs> yeah, right. he was he was perfect. He everything he played was perfect. Listen to like the drumming on like Penny Lane, where it's just kick and snare and nothing else. It's like that was perfect. Or the the pattern and ticket to ride. It's like that's perfect. Yeah, and amazing. this he had oh, a really cool feel. Like the swinginess oh, yeah. of like the the way he played toms was just so laid back and like right in totally. the right spot that's 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 totally he, he had a great feel and when you read about how many takes and how many versions of you know songs that they recorded you know remember no click track right. no pro tools and when you read like different songs are you know pieced together from four different takes on three different days right. like that's there's and something it, to be said about yeah. that man you <laughs> it's yep. seamless no so much and, and you know what amazing. and he did have to, good technique because his right hand really did swing like uh we i uh covered uh with yellow matter custard we did she's a woman and uh i don't want to spoil the party we did them back to back because they were kind of the mm -hmm. same tempo and they, they both have the yeah that right. kind of eighth note swing on yeah. the hi-hat and mm -hmm. you you know do that for two songs in a row for like you know six to seven minutes or whatever of just that and your right hand starts to get tired so i mean he yeah. he actually did have technique he really did i totally. i agree and yep, he, totally. he was really left-handed. Yeah. Well, all of his fills were leading with the left hand, which also was right. pretty unorthodox because he was, I think totally. he's a lefty, but he played the kit righty. Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Interesting. I never, I never knew that. Well, that would explain his different feel. 
Yeah, I mean, totally. he definitely has a different feel that you can't really put your finger on it. It's just, it's just like the, his timing within the time is just very, very unique. But all those those time fills, I mean, the day in the yeah. life and I'm the walrus. I mean, it's just so tasty. Yep. Amazing. That's what yeah. it's about, man. I want to bring up something to you, Mike, from the Wayback File. Mm-hmm. The first guest that we had at the top of this episode was actually our bass player from Fuzzbubble, mm-hmm. Brett, because he was like the other special guest for us uh, for this single. And uh, he worked with you at Uncle Phil's. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I had no idea. No joke. Wow. So I didn't realize that. How about that for a small world and and the you know bringing the circle even tighter? I worked. I worked at Uncle Phil's. It was yeah. probably around eighty seven or eighty eight. I guess I had just dropped out of college because I was focusing on Dream Theater. We were Majesty at that point, and I worked a bunch of jobs. One of them was at Uncle Phil's record store in Long Island, but I never got paid. I would literally take my paycheck in 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 vinyl and CDs. <laughs> I would literally just get paid with yeah, product. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I used to do that with music stores. Yeah, yeah. same thing. Basically worked for sticks yeah. and heads <laughs> and cymbals. Well, that, that's crazy. I had no idea that that. Uh, well, we even together. more so, and this is something that Brett told me about that, but last night when we spoke to him, he said, oh yeah, I used to roadie for them too. Oh, he used, to, right. he used to take, he took some lessons from John and uh-huh. he said he's, he, he teched for a, a uh, more than a couple of shows, like a, probably, yeah. Wow. Well, you guys were in between singers. You were doing yeah. like instrumental yeah. gigs at Sundance. That was like probably around 86, 87. John was working. He was teaching guitar at Focus 2 Guitar Center. Right. Uh, yeah, I was at Uncle Phil's. We were all working day jobs, wow. and we're trying to just keep the band going. We're looking for a singer. That's that's crazy. I had no idea. And were you rehearsing at Dare Studios? Was Majesty at yes. Dare Studios yes. in Deer Park? Exactly. Right. Because yep. I used to rehearse in the C Room, and there was a big mural in the C Room. The, Ma- the Majesty mural wow. was on the back wall. Wow, that's crazy. That's like 30-something years yeah. ago. long time. Huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Wow, unbelievable. Of course, I was very, very young. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. only five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was five. Well, the, Small world. The, the amazing thing about this whole thing, um, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the words out of Jay's mouth, but this entire song was all Long Island people. Oh, that's great. The director, you know, the guy who directed the video, Brett, you know, you, us, yeah, all, all people right. from Long Island. It's just kind of weird that you can as far away as you can go. Is anybody on Long Island anymore? I I mean, I'm in, I'm in Pennsylvania now. Yeah. I'm the only guy I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm the the only Long Island here left, but um, yeah. Then you had, uh, Phoenix, Portland, Los Angeles, Pennsylvania. And yeah, Mike lives in, yeah. And I live in Huntington beach. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. And oddly enough, here's another weird connection. The guy who played drums before Jay on the first recordings, is a guy named Kevin Kelly, and he used to he was in a class with you at Berkeley. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Jazz one hundred and one. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't remember yeah. that. He played on the first like before we had Jay and Brett in the band. It was just a project like it is now. Me, Mark, and and my friend Kevin had a studio, and then we got a little record deal. And when I moved out to L.A., the label flew out Mark and Kevin. We did the recording at the studio where I was working at. Kevin played drums on, you know, the first batch of songs. It was going to be an indie label, but we got a big deal. Right. And then, uh, you know, Kevin had a family. He was just kind of having his first child. He's like, I can't, you know, so that's when we mm. got Jay and Brett, even though we all knew each other kind of anyway. So it's, it's a weird, right. 
it's a weird little connection that all the three drummers of Fuzz Bubble are long. That's Island crazy. People. So yeah, that's um, great. It's just weird how things work out, you know. And, and like to to Jay's point, like even before the the top albums post that you did, like I've seen you post mm-hmm. a couple times, like "Don't Let It Get You Down" and other things. Oh, it's that's my go-to song. That's any any time my daughter Melody is upset. I send her the link to Don't Let It Get You Down. That's like, that's my go-to cheer up song. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you down. Oh no. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you down. Oh no. That's amazing. That's, that's super funny. cool, man. It's very, it's super flattering. Yeah. You know, and speaking of melody, the prog from home. Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to stay home. That was yeah, that, really, that was amazing. I got goosebumps watching it, listening to it. I was like, uh, Melody's got, she got a great voice, man. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I mean, both in, of them. Yeah. Are, are really it was good. nice because you sang the verse and then she did the choruses and right. the harmonies you're singing together. I was like, damn, this is really good. She got a great voice, man. Well, she's also a Beatles fanatic. And actually, totally. um, there's an amazing video on YouTube. If, uh, first, you should watch me and Neil Morse do the Beatles name that tune, where I complete, I wiped, I wiped Neil out, <laughs> and I was so proud to be oh, the king. Her and you but then great Melody one. challenged me, and she wiped the floor with me. She, yeah. she became the new queen. So yeah, look up uh, wow. the Beatles name that tune with me and her. But Anyway, so, you know, doing the Jellyfish song, she loves Jellyfish as well, so she was psyched to do it. And actually, we have another duet coming out next week. Um, we we did uh, It Don't Come Easy, the Ringo song. Oh, I love that Beautiful, song. And, yeah. And I, I sang it, obviously, just because it was a Ringo thing. And uh, But then she's, she does all the female vocals on the track as well. So that video is coming out next Friday. Awesome. Cool. And did you play everything on that one? No, that's actually a song from the upcoming uh, Morse Portnoy cover George cover to cover album it's basically me and neil morse and randy george and this is the third one we've done in fact i should send you guys the links to this when we get off but uh it's it's not it, this now those albums are probably the closest i got to doing power pop stuff because we covered everything from uh bowie to you know solo beatles stuff to you know elton john and uh you know the osmonds and the bgs and and uh todd rungren oh, and cool. uh bad finger you know so we we tapped into all of those great cover songs and the third third one's coming out next month but it don't come easy is one of the videos that's, oh, that's coming out cool. next week from that very cool um i was just curious how how that worked out with you getting roger and jason did you just ask them or yeah pretty much i mean uh basically i've been in a crazy power pop mode ever since this quarantine began <laughs> i went on I, jimmy you and i were texting about it but like i went through a, a really heavy sloan kick for for about yeah. a month or so i listened to nothing but sloan and of course jellyfish is always there but then my my love for jellyfish kind of reignited with the the licorice quartet uh you know so it had me th- li- listening to all that jellyfish related stuff you know the the grays and imperial drag and jason yeah. faulkner in any case the prog from home uh concert idea was brought up and i immediately started thinking okay well what's a good song about being home and then i want to stay home was like one of the first songs that popped in my head uh 
and and then I started thinking, oh, that would be fun to do it with with Melody doing the chorus. Obviously, I, I, I my range isn't that high, so I needed her to cover the chorus. And then I started thinking, man, wouldn't it be so cool to hit up like Roger and Jason and see if they would do this? And you know, I, I've been a casual acquaintance to both of them for for years now at this point, and you know, Facebook friends. And Roger and I did a, a Jellyfish podcast together, so uh, you know, I ca- kind of casually knew them, but always wanted to work with both of them. I remember saying to Casey McPherson, my singer in in uh, Flying Colors, I guess Casey knew Jason and, and Roger. And I kept saying to Casey, like, my dr- that's my dream collaboration, man. You got to hook me up. I want to work with, the- I want to do something with those guys. Mm-hmm. And then when this idea came to do the Jellyfish cover, I just said, you know what? Let's see if those guys would be interested. And sure enough, they were. And I kept the whole thing a secret. So nobody knew what I was going to be doing. So when, when you watch the concert and that popped up, not only doing that song was a great surprise, but having those guys involved was just like the icing on the cake. That story sounds very familiar. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Don't ask. Don't get. It's just like the same thing. Like, Oh, I did a song with Enough's Enough. Let me, maybe I'll ask him. Like, yeah, Enough's Enough and Jellyfish. I mean, you caught me in the right moment too, because I'm in this total power pop mode as well. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like totally loving it. Even like the other things I've done, like I did a a Lennon cover recently and, uh, I just did a track a few days ago for, for some other friends of mine that is another like power pop band that I love. So yeah, I'm, I'm just totally in that headspace and, and it was just the right, right time for it really. And, and, and we're all home right now, which which doesn't often right, happen. Right. Me, and that's so. what I figured. I said, you know what? He's, he, he can't go anywhere. So like, he probably has a lot of time, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I know I like during the year when you're like out touring all over the place, I know like, there's no way I would even ask, like, I know you don't have the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I was almost never home when I'm touring that much, but when I am home, touring that much i don't really want to do anything so you know yeah of course but now it's like it's it's great i've done more recording over these past couple months and than you know at home than i ever have that was the other thing for us too is that the licorice quartet not only like re-inspired us with the power pop Mm. as well like oh my god you know our heroes are back you know minus andy of course but still amazing yeah here they are and then it was like well wait a second these guys aren't all in the same place either so, you know, technology had moved so much more forward since we've been doing this for right. 20 years. And we're like, look, there's no excuse. You have the time. You have the technology. Right. Just send the tracks and start making music. Now, 20 years ago, you couldn't, you couldn't just on a whim say, hey, you know, let's get Fuzzbubble back together. And, you know, if every, you, right. you're, you're li- everyone's living in different places. You have to fly everybody out. You have to find a, pl- a studio. It's not like that anymore. You could literally just drop an email and say, hey, you want to play in this track? And and boom, there you go. And and normally, I I mean, all my bands and projects, we never work that way. You know, I like writing in the same room and collaborating in the same room. Yeah. But in the situation that we're in right now, I mean, it's it's actually really nice and easy to be able to do things like this. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's funny because me and Jay both do, you know, composing, um, you know, for TV and commercials and this and that. So that's the way we normally work now. Right. Like I, me and Mark. Did, I did a Wendy, commercial for Wendy's and exactly the same way. I recorded the tracks. I sent it to Mark. He sang on it. We got the gig. Um, it was a national spot. That's great. And I'm just so used to doing that now. Um, right. Cause I don't, you know, I have my band out here and I do that, but like with these, these guys are, you know, uh, so much fun to work with, but you know, we're not in the same zip code or state or anything. So mm. I, I'm used to working that way. Um, I'm less used to working in, 
like doing a band thing in a room now than you like you do it constantly. Right. Yeah, but this is this is nice this way too. I mean, really, it's been a, a productive break being home and being able to do these collaborations. And I I'm so glad you guys asked me to do this because I just love I you know I just love what you're doing. The whole band is great. The songs are great. Everybody's playing is great and singing. And so for me, it was an honor to be asked, and I was more than happy cool. to. Well, Likewise, uh, Thank right you. back at and, you. And the video, the video. <laughs> The, so, the song came out great, but the video is so cool. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, he really, he really did it. Yeah, he, he we did didn't know job. that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, that wasn't a plan. My, I had said, when you had originally sent your tracks and you included some video, I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. Like, check it out. You know, there it is. There's Mike Portnoy playing on, on one of our tracks. Like, how amazing is that? Cool. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And again, at that time, there were a ton of Skype videos and Zoom, you know, compilations right. coming out, kind of like the Prog From Home thing, but even before that. And I'm like, wow, hell, you know, he sent some video. You know, maybe we just do like a box video. Yeah, everybody's doing the quarantine split screen videos, but you guys right. took, I was you like, took okay. it to a whole well, new level. Well, that's what it was going to be at first, honestly. And Just a quarantine split yeah, screen Yeah, and our thing. friend Mike, yeah. Mike Starr, said, I can do one of those for you. I'm like, cool. So it started out like that, and then- you know, Mark sent the videos like, I don't want to sit in a chair and, and wear headphones. I'm going to stand up and rock. So like I had right. shot like 12 videos and the director, Mike, was like, you know what? I want more of what, like, what Mark's doing. I like the idea of you guys like playing like you're in an actual show, but you're in your rooms. It's like I, I kind of find right. that more interesting. So then I said, well, what if we had this dragonfly flying across the video and maybe some graphics? Because I do the graphic design stuff. So. And it, that's it. how it started. Right. And then we just went nuts. And like, I was like, Jay's like, it looks like an old TV show. And I like went totally. on YouTube and I was like, Manix intro, Charlie's angel intro. And I sent all these links to him and he's like, Oh, totally Charlie's like, angels. That's, yeah. and basically that model <laughs> yeah. was Manix, Charlie's angels, the rookies, the Partridge family, yeah. you know, impossible. Yeah. Partridge family. So totally. That's the feel good stuff of our childhood. Right. So that's kind of what we wanted totally. to do. So it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of a lot of work. Nailed it. A lot of work, but it was fun. Yeah, I bet. Um, but you know what? It's I like it's like the favorite, my favorite video that I'm a part of, like throughout this whole wow. thing. You know, like like you said, because everybody everybody else is just doing the quarantine videos, but this was was really really creative. It had such a creative element to it, and incorporating all those '70s styles and influences. It's just you not you knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you, how do you man. how do you follow that up oh, now? Good yeah, question, right? man. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we video wise, we probably won't for a little while. <laughs> I mean, I know mm. Mike wants to do another one, but it is a lot. Of, like we were literally on Google Chat for like five hours a day for like three weeks, like because he could share wow. the screen so I could see his edits. Right. And I'm like, no, make mm -hmm. the dragon fly, fly faster and put eight of them disappear. You know, yeah. and like we just, it was a really interesting and fun, creative collaboration. It's like writing a song, right? So, or making mm -hmm. a recording and writing a song. So that was fun to do. Uh, I'm glad someone knew the, the production uh, part of it, how to do it. Cause I would right. have thrown my computer out the window by the end of that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, amazing. I loved it. I loved uh, the whole uh, 
Brock Landers, Chest Rockwell kind of boogie nights and, and uh, you know, Sa- Beastie Boy sabotage. It's like everything yeah. is in there. That thing you do reminded me a little bit of that. It was just a little bit of everything in there that I love. Yeah. Which is great because that's, you know, a, a band like you guys, uh, you know, whether it be the new incarnation with, with Cold Stars or the old band with Fuzzbubble. I mean, that's this kind of music. It, it like incorporates all of those seventies kind of sounds mm-hmm. and looks and styles. I think that's one of the key signatures of like the whole power pop movement. You look at like red yeah. cross or, or jellyfish. I mean, that's what it yeah. is, you know? And, and I love that you guys have that not only in your sound, but now with the video, even with the look of, of, of the presentation. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just part of the, love it. it goes along with the whole thing, you know, it's, it's the yeah, it's the DNA of it all. Oh, and also like you, like being huge Beatles fans, and I'm I'm definitely not comparing us to the Beatles, but as being huge fans of them, we also loved like their humor, right. their sarcasm. Totally. Like, you know, we we like being fun, <laughs> you know, with the stuff we're putting together. It should be a little silly at times. Absolutely. You know, it's uh you don't have to take yourself serious all the time. So it's a little bit of a nod to that too, mm-hmm. that you know, we can make and fun. And right of it. now it's a good time to be fun because the world isn't. Are you happy now? Are you happy now? Are you happy now? Don't look that way to me. Everything you do, know it will come back to you. Everyone. Like when you put out that John Lennon video, that, that song, I was just like, Oh man, I, I, I anticipate some, some grief. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Well, I mean that, that Lennon song to begin with is so angry. And that was almost kind of the point when I put out that song or that video, it started, I I wanted to put, give peace a chance and, and uh, all you need is love and all, you know, the same guy that wrote those optimistic love, peace and love songs is the same guy that also wrote, you know, how do you sleep and, and give me some truth. You know, he was like really a jaded, um, uh, yeah. tortured soul. Yeah, I mean, so he, you know, a lot yeah. of Lennon's stuff was also very, very bitter and jaded. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. it's the same guy. But, but that's where I'm at. You know, like, you know, w- you know, not not to get political, but with what's going on in the world right now, it, it makes me angry. And every oh, everybody's absolutely. like that. You know, you read social media and people are fighting yep. and you know losing friends and blocking friends and everybody's got a different take and it's, it's just so much anger and hatred and. The racism and, and it's it's a crazy crazy dark it's period ugly, and man. and so, so like th- this week started with my take on it with this angry bitter jaded Lennon song but I I was so glad that the week ended <laughs> with the the happy yeah. funny <laughs> put a smile on your face uh, Cold Stars from Mars video it was like it was like a cleansing palette yeah. cleansing my palate yeah. after like such a dark week and I think that's what we, we need that right now we yeah, really and do I'm glad yeah. to be of service <laughs> yeah there's an element of trauma for all of us of what's going on really. And you need, I think you do need to process all of those emotions. Yeah. You, you can't just be one. You can't just be a hundred percent angry all the time and you can't just, you know, be like unicorns and rainbows either, but you need to dedicate some time to explore all of the emotions. Right. I think L- Lennon was the perfect dichotomy of that. I mean, he was the yin and the yang in, in one, right. you know? Yep. Totally. Absolutely. Which yeah. I, I hope you didn't get too much grief from, part of your fan base. You know what? It it wasn't, it wasn't so bad. Actually, I expected it to be way, way worse about it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually said you were surprised to see 
there were people saying that they didn't necessarily agree, but you know, again, like, but you know, whatever, man, I support you. Right. Totally. I mean, that's how it should be. And that's how I agree. It was the perfect song choice that you picked and you didn't write the thing. It's like, you know, that's John's coming from John, you know? And, uh, you know, although, but the, the, the video images I included, I guess, you know, understandable. you can't blame Lennon for that. (laughs) Speaking of, speaking of Lennon, I got to say that, uh, Mark, your voice, is reminds me so i mean obviously everybody's gonna say uh, uh robin zander yep. but zander's voice is so like 64 lennon like that you know like oh yeah uh, that, yeah like, uh, yep. like think of like this bo- the bridge of uh this boy you this know? boy oh yeah. And this- yeah 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 and i mean it's just that that breakup it's just oh my god it's just so i love so that cool. oh, I, I, that's what i love about your, your voice just oh man it, it nails well, it, with- it. I mean, the, when me and Jimmy first got together, because I met Jimmy through One Guri Coconut, and we, you know, we found out we were just huge Beatles fans and cheap, oh no, all the jellyfish, you know. And I remember like me and Jimmy uh, doing like uh, If I Fell and just doing mm. the harmonies on two guitars and stuff like that. And, yeah, always uh, at your house. We, I'd go to your house and we'd sit house. with guitars yep. and just harmonize, you know. Yeah, mm. but you know, That's when so we much fun. got this fuzz bubble thing together, you know, like. You know, who do you try to sound like? So I'm like, let me try to sound like McCartney sometimes and Lennon. Right. Not, you know, let me pick the best. You got to hear him right. do McCartney, man. We used to play Jet and Rock Show. Really? And Rock oh, Show. And like, oh, Rock Show. I, I saw the Wings Over America tour. You and, did? And they opened. Oh, my God. Oh, like yeah, five? yeah. I, saw, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was nine, actually. Oh. Oh, that's well, insane. I'll, I'll take you. I'll take you one better than that. I saw Wings in '76, but I saw George Harrison in '74. Come on, in '74, right? When I was seven, wow. yeah. But the, the, back to the the rock uh, rock show song. So yeah, when I saw Wings Over America, they opened with rock show, and I just remember oh, yeah. it blew my yep. mind. And even hearing um, joining a fan club by Jellyfish always reminded me mm-hmm. a bit of rock oh, show. Yeah. But that's yes. definitely that's yeah. one of my favorite Wings songs, yeah. big time. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So many, but yeah. wow. So. I know your dad was in radio, so was he the one taking you to these shows? Uh, in some cases, yeah. I mean, uh, he he was a, a disc jockey in the early seventies in in Carmel, California. He moved. He left New York and went to uh, Carmel when my parents got uh. divorced. And he had a, he had a, a radio show out there. But I grew up literally from day one, surrounded by the Beatles and the Who and you know Bowie and all that stuff in the late sixties, early seventies, and. Uh, but yeah, he was a big part of that, you know, That's growing crazy. up doing the radio show with him and stuff. And yeah, so when I saw when Harrison was touring in '74, I, I went to that, and McCartney in '76, and I saw Kiss in '77. Kiss was the other big thing for me. It was the Beatles and Kiss were the big ones for oh, me. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kiss was my first concert, '77 at Nassau Coliseum. Oh, okay. So I saw him December '77 at the Garden. I saw that one too. I, I, yeah. I was at that same. I was at that same show too, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Well, there <laughs> yeah. was three nights. There was December December fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. I think I I went yes. the fourteenth, the first. I night. forget which night it went. Yeah, yeah. I forget too. Yeah, but I was definitely there in December shows. Yeah. yeah. I got a good uh, kiss story for you, Mike. Yeah. Uh, my dad actually played in a band with Ace. Oh wow! Before Kiss, wow. He grew up in the Bronx. And played in like a you know a band playing high school dances and stuff with Paul Fraley, right? Right, Ace, uh, like yeah, in like sixty from like sixty seven to sixty. Wow, that's awesome! A couple pictures of him. Yeah, Ace Ace is my hero. (laughs) Ace is one of my all time heroes. In fact, when I was in element, you know, kid back then in the seventies, my nickname was Ace. Even though I was a drummer, 
uh, and I love Peter Chris. Really, it was Ace that I gravitated to, and I was Ace Portnoy like throughout <laughs> fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth I'm grade. I'm gonna call you Ace yeah. from now That's on. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's always been my hero. I mean, he was just the coolest, the king of cool, and yeah. I, I love every one of those guitar solos on the first six albums. I mean, you could literally sing them. They're so lover all I can. Yep. That's all oh, you got to yep. say to me, yeah. man. That's like one of the best yeah. guitar solos. Yeah. And a song they yeah. never like, you never hear from them. Like those great harmonies on that song, just incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, but you you forget that that they all sang. To me, the Kiss was like the Beatles. They were like, it's weird. It's a weird comparison because the Beatles are the Beatles. But Kiss, and a lot of people don't take Kiss seriously, but us Kiss fanatics that were there at the time, we yeah. do. And I always saw a huge similarity. Like, like uh, Gene was always kind of like the John Lennon persona. Paul Stanley was kind of the, like the McCartney like equivalent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Ace was like the George, and Ringo was like Peter. But mm -hmm. the other thing yeah. about the early Kiss albums is you forget how much Peter sang. Like, if you listen to um, uh, the first album, you know, he's singing not only Black Diamond, but like... Uh, Nothing to lose. They're each like you know taking verses, and you forget that they were a band where where every member sang like the right. Beatles. It will tell a yep. non-Kiss person that that loves the Beatles, right? And you know they'll yeah. they'll just berate you out of the room because I feel the same totally same exact way. Like you try and tell someone like, dude, Kiss is really like a lot like the Beatles. I'm like, oh, don't you dare Absolutely. compare them. I was like, I'm not, but. Yeah. And, uh, I've read Gene and Paul say it. What other bands where all four members were like stars? When the Beatles came around, that exactly. was the thing. They were four Elvises. And every one of them had their own personality, and, and all four of them became stars. And really, you could say the same thing about Kiss. They were probably the next band that had Agreed, that. I mean, right. you could love Zeppelin. Yeah. You could love Pink Floyd. You could love The Who. But it wasn't like they were all stars. Whereas Kiss, it was exactly. four distinct personalities. Superheroes. Yeah. yeah, totally. And Yep. To that, on a musical note, like the a lot of bands would harmonize, you know, normal, like sing the third to the to the lead vocal, sing, you know, sing along with the lead vocal. Kiss did those, you know, uh, where they would interject two harmonies, singing something different behind the lead vocal, the way the Beatles did. Right, and try right, and right. explain that to Beatle fans. Oh, don't you? It's like no, listen, like. They're doing right, question totally. and answer vocals like the Beatles did all the time. I mean, and, you know, obviously, if you listen to Paul Stanley, he talks about it all the time. So, Oh, and you could hear it. Like, right. even Gene, like, there's a song on the Gene solo album, uh, See You Tonight. That could easily be a Beatles song. It sounds like a John Lennon song. And you could tell yeah. that they had that influence, but I think just nobody took them seriously because of all the, the makeup and the gimmicks right. and all that stuff. Right, I, yeah. And then the, the other band, I guess you could kind of say that in a different way, would be Queen. Although John Deacon is obviously a quiet one, but you know they, they were a band where you had three guys all really singing and harmonizing and trading off mm -hmm. and uh, distinct personalities. A little bit of a different, you know, obviously a whole different approach. But uh, I think Queen could could fall into that same category yeah, as well. Didn't Deacon wrote uh, "My Best Friend"? Wasn't that their first number one song? Yeah, I think I think uh, the. Every member of Queen had their own number one song. I think uh, Deacon had You're My Best Friend and an another one, Bites the Dust. Um, I think Under a Pressure might have been Deacon as well, but then Roger had uh, Radio Gaga and yeah. Brian uh, Brian had We Will Rock You. You know, so they, they each contributed hits. And you could say the same, look at uh, Kiss, you know, like the biggest Kiss yeah. song was yeah, back. I know. You know? Yeah. I know, it's crazy. Totally. I think it's funny that Peter Chris. I think Peter Chris wrote Hard Luck Woman, right? Yeah. 
Totally. And it was he originally wrote it for Rod Stewart, and Rod Stewart no, no, was interested a, in it. Paul Stanley right. and oh, yeah, he, okay. he wrote that. Yeah. Right, uh-huh. but Peter but sang had, it, and Peter sings yeah. it exactly like Rod Stewart. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I always thought I was like, this is like Rod Stewart. You know, totally. Kiss is so Kiss is so underrated. I don't care what anyone says. The the other crazy uh, right in uh, the surprising kiss, right? Is that Paul Stanley wrote God of Thunder. Yes. yes. Have you ever heard the original demo? Yeah. It's like a disco song with yes. them singing. It's, and- yeah. It's got the disco beat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty funny. Something I wanted to ask you, Mike, um, going back in your career, um, well, an impression and a question. So you with Dream Theater for what, 25 years or so? Some, some 25, 25 years. So yep. 25 almost to the day. Wow. Actually. That's, wow. that's yeah. crazy. So you guys split yeah. and you know, I know that's a whole story into itself. We don't have to talk about that, but thank you. <laughs> when you, <laughs> um, when you, when you left, did, what was like, what was your like, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, Cause you kind of turned like you were a drummer in this band that had a couple of big songs, one big radio song and a cult following, right? Pretty big cult mm-hmm. following. So you went from being the drummer in that band that was, you know, marginally big, fairly big, but not like Led Zeppelin big or kiss big or anything like that. Right. And you, you turned you like, you turned yourself into a brand. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's amazing. When I, when I look at your career, I go, damn, did you consciously go like, okay, I'm just going to be Mike Portnoy and I'm not going to be in any one band. I'm going to play in a lot of different things and spread myself out. Like, how did that work? I mean, that's pretty much it. You kind of nailed it. I think I, after 25 years of being in one band and kind of being pigeonholed to being one kind of drummer, you know, like, uh, you know, Dream Theater was known for playing these really long, progressive, very overly technical songs but yet you know here we are talking about kiss and the beatles and jellyfish and right. and that was all a huge huge part of me but you know what you would never know from what i did in dream theater that i loved kiss or the beatles or jellyfish so i really mm-hmm. needed to spread my wings my love for music is so broad i also have the whole thrash metal thing jim you've seen me do that with metal agents and that's yep. another part sure. of me and i had all these other right. parts of me that just wanted to explore and try different things because I just love music so much. So when I kind of freed myself from being in one band, I kind of just sowed my musical oats. I just, I like right out of the gates, I was doing like five different things. I, I started, I was still playing with the Venge Sevenfold at the time. And then once that ended, I started uh, playing with Adrenaline Mob. And then I started Flying Colors as well with Steve Morris and Dave Lurie, Casey McPherson. Um then I was working with John Sykes for a little while. I mean, these were all literally within months of leaving Dream Theater. All these kind of different musical projects kind of ended up on the table. And it's it hasn't stopped, you know, for 10 years. It's been the same thing, just like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And it's like right now I have, I think, six different bands I'm a part of. And then, you know, if, if you count these guest appearances or these covers albums, I mean, it's like, you know, a dozen different bands at any given moment. And it's only because... I love music so much and I just have all of these different 
styles within me. You know, what I do with the winery dogs is like the power trio thing. And what I do with Sons of Apollo is more the hard rock, you know, deep purple rainbow yeah. thing. And every, every one of these bands gets to kind of scratch a different itch and, and a different side of what I love. It's like such a smart thing to do. Like go, being you're one band, right? You're a drummer. And then you just like, first of all, like, what did you do? Just start making phone calls? Because if you, you did all this stuff very quickly, so like, what'd you call like Billy Sheen? Like, Hey, let's form a band. Like, how did that work? I mean, every one of these bands and situations were different situations. I mean, I, if you name a specific band, I could tell you how it happened, but to be more general, uh, yeah, you know, um, actually working with Billy right after I left dream theater, I, I was supposed to be doing something at Nam. Uh, I got asked to do something at Nam the, the, the January after I left dream theater. And so I needed to put something together. So I thought of, doing something with Derek Sherinian and I thought of doing, you know, adding Billy Sheehan on bass and I thought of Tony McAlpine on guitar. So I put that together, basically picked up the phone or sent the emails and said, Hey guys, you want to do this? So we did that. And that ultimately led to me and Billy doing the winery dogs years later, uh, which stemmed from John Sykes, but that's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. And then from, you know, for it, the, you know, it just was like a snowball effect. I would do one thing and then it would pick up something else along the way and, and then uh, branch off into something different. And, you know, I, I don't know. It just hasn't stopped though. I would imagine that people were caught, you know, you were getting calls too, because, you know, yeah. Okay. Maybe dream theater wasn't, you know, as big as the Beatles, but Outside of the band itself, you had made a tremendous impact on the drumming community. That was that was important to me, like in the early years of Dream Theater, to not just be the drummer from this band. So I started doing like clinics and right. and instructional videos to try to like make a name for myself. And I guess yeah, I guess that helped pay off. You know, once I left the band and started doing all these other things, like when Dream Theater started, right? We're talking like the you know late eighties, right? 88 or so, right? When majesty started 80, 80, 85, 85. Okay. Same yeah, time as Hitman. So, and I'm going to totally give you credit for this, whether, whether you accept it or not, like you brought back that style of like that Neil Peart style of drumming. Cause you remember 1987 when guns and roses came out, mm. everybody got rid of their second bass drum and said, I'm going to play a five piece right. kit now, everybody. <laughs> yep. And you're like, Nope, true. I'm going to make a bigger kit. Yeah. Too bad. And, you know, that uh, even Rush, like, had lost their flair for doing that. You know, like, me and you right. are both, I'm a huge Rush fan forever. Um, of course. Uh, but in in 85, I mean, and I loved Power Windows and Grace Under Pressure, but that's what they were doing at that point. And when, when I right. went to Berkeley and met John and John and we put the band together, we were just trying to fill a void. In 1985, on one hand, I was listening to Fate's Warning and Queensryche and Maiden and Metallica. On the other hand, I was still listening to Rush and Yes and Crimson and Floyd. But mm -hmm. but all those prog bands weren't really doing prog anymore right. in the mid-80s. They were all kind of polished poppy stuff, you know, with more traditional arrangements and shorter songs. So, you know, we wanted to fill that void because we still loved Hemispheres and Farewell to Kings. But nobody was doing it. And then at the same time in 85, I was listening to S.O.D. and Flotsam and Jetsam. And I wanted to have, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a heavy edge to it. So that's kind of where it came from. We were just filling a void. And like you said, you know, those early years of Dream Theater, you know, look at what was popular. It was Guns N' Roses. And then a few years later came Nirvana and Grunge. And we were kind of like the polar opposite of all of it which made it very difficult, but it, I think it also made us stand out as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a pretty bold thing to do in like 1988 
to, to do that because like right. even rush wasn't being really like the rush that we knew and loved early in the day. They were, they kind of took a more slick uh, direction and you guys came out and you were just like, I mean, at that time, it was probably the uncoolest thing you could be in terms of like what's cool and what isn't. Totally. So I, I, I'm going to totally give you guys and you credit for bringing that style back. Of credit or blame, depending <laughs> yeah. on how you look at it. For me, it's for me, it's credit. I mean, I think it's amazing to do that and be, be like, no, everybody's like doing this. We're going to do this, even though none of you think it's cool. And like, look, Pull Me Under came out and was a huge hit. Right. And all of a sudden- you know, but we still weren't cool. I think even 15, 20 years into our career, we still were never cool. I think we were just different. And, and you know, you kind of see that with bands like Rush even. You know, for, for how long was Rush not cool? And then suddenly, right. once they were around 30, 35 years, obviously we loved right. Rush. They were always cool to me. Right. They were cool to us. Same. But to the general public, you know, they were always like the nerdy musicals, right. you know? And then it wasn't until years and years later that, they started getting that respect. And I think it was a little bit like that with dream theater, to be honest. I think for so many years we were incredibly uncool, but the more you stick around and persevere and, you know, you make your mark and then suddenly, suddenly you become what's right. cool. Like in the words of uh, Neil, stick it out, right? You stick <laughs> yeah, it out long totally. enough and, and people, you know, they come around once you, once you kind of hit that 10 year mark and you got a couple of records and people are like, oh, I've heard of that band. They've been around forever. And all of a sudden, a new respect forms, you know, from being, just from being right. there. I mean, um, even Jellyfish, we keep coming back to right. Jellyfish, but when they, when yes. those albums came out, 90 and oh 93 yeah. or whatever, yeah. I mean, they were, we loved them. They, th we thought they were the greatest albums made since like Sgt. Pepper, but, uh, you know, they, they were did sorely, not belong. yeah, they, 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 they were overlooked. They yeah. couldn't really catch on. They were coming around during the time of grunge. It's pretty much the same time the dream theater broke. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess they just caved in and it wasn't until like now, 20, 30 years later, where everybody is like, oh, jellyfish, you know, those albums are masterpieces and they're gods, you know, but it wasn't like that at no. the time you needed, <laughs> you need the passage of time to have that kind of, um, perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for dream theater, you know, getting back to that again, it's just like, wow, like nobody was doing that. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of people doing that. So you guys are pioneers yeah. and you especially being, you know, taking the drum thing, like, Nope, I'm going to take my Bill Bruford and my Neil Peart influences. And that's what I'm going to go with. And you, you built, well, thank you. What I like to say, like the, what the kids call a brand, right? Um, you're an influencer well, you. now, another kid term. Um, 400,000, uh, follows on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations well, on that. You. By the way, unbelievable. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, that's it's just amazing. Like you took what you did and you turned yourself into a brand. You know what? I count, I count my blessings for that. I thank God for that. I have a lot of gratitude for that. Because how many people leave a band after twenty five years, especially the drummer, and then just kind of disappear into obscurity? But I know I was I I would not I could not do it. <laughs> no, but I I was determined to you know hold on to my audience and build on it and. I thank God that they've stuck with me through all these years. You know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So a lot of gratitude for it. Yeah. And what I was going to say was uh, after the question was the, I just wanted to tell you how much I admire how you, how you handle your, your fans, you know, like you have really great engagement with your fans. I mean, even to the point of like when one crazy fan showed up at your house, right. You were still, you went on, you made a really great social media post like, hey, it's really cool, but 
you know, please don't do that. It's right. like you scared my family. Yeah. I was going to say, anyone listening, don't, don't do that. <laughs> right. But you know, you handled it like a, like a champ. But it's so like, easy to get bu- if you read blasted the- though. I mean, I, it's so easy. Could have, people could have turned into, sure, Oh, what's the matter? You don't appreciate your fans or, you know, so yeah, nah, yeah. you gotta be very careful, but I, I do. I love the engagement. I love the social media. I've always been like that. Even back in the eighties, I was the one answering the fan mail, you know, uh, and, and mailing right. things. And that's, yeah. that's amazing, dude. I got to tell you, you do an incredible, I just, I just watch the way you handle your, your social media, you know, audience. I'm just like, this guy has it like dialed. Like well, thank it's, you. it's obviously, I don't, it, it, it comes across as very sincere because it is because you genuinely like it and you're cool to people. And that's why, you know, you have 400,000 followers because you, you do it right. And I think it's really cool. Well, thank you. And thank you. Because of that, getting back to us, like we got shot out of a cannon on Friday with, you know, you launching the video for us and talking about it. Cause you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have had that, the reception we've had and it's still going. And so we, you know, we really appreciate that you not only played on it, but said, okay, I'm going to promote it too, which is, so thank you very much, man. Completely my yeah. pleasure, man. Totally. Like using my power for good. Yeah. <laughs> wherever I, wherever I can. It's, it's- <laughs> Speaking of appreciation, I know you have a lot of stuff, but, but feel free. Uh, you know, what do you want to talk about that's coming out other than what you did with us? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things, um, but obviously no touring. I was supposed right. to have been touring with Sons of Apollo all year, and obviously that's not happening. So uh, just a lot of releases at this point because I've been home. So uh, there's a, a live Flying Colors DVD and Blu-ray that I've been putting the finishing touches on. So that's uh, coming out in September. I just uh, played drums on Neil Morse's new solo album, which is like a you know big prog epic piece. Um, just uh, Friday, in addition to to your song coming out, uh, also an album I did with uh, Bobby Blitz and uh, Phil Demo and uh, Mark Mengi. We did this BPMD American Made covers album, which was kind of like modern metal twists on old seventies American hard rock bands. Yeah. Um, what else? I, I, there's a, tra- a new transatlantic album. We're, uh, just getting ready to start mixing. So that'll be out later in the year and a few others, a few other things I can't even speak of just yet, but uh, you know, just, uh, keep them busy, busy, busy. And a lot of these quarantine videos and not, you know, not only, um, getting to help you guys out, but, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of fun quarantine collaborations and guest spots and guest appearances. So actually, I've actually really been in- enjoying that aspect being home and getting to work on different things and collaborate with different people, even for just one-offs, you know, it's a lot of fun. Right. And I, I know you're all over the place, uh, even on social media, but what's, uh, what's your preferred, uh, platform? Where, where, where do you want people to, uh, I check guess, in with you? You know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I, you know, I, I use them all. I pretty much, you know, yep. go on them all daily. Mike Portnoy. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere. That's yeah, just handle. look for yeah. the look for the blue check. Yeah, the blue yep. check. That that's right. You get you're actually one of those people that you get a lot of people pretending to be you. I noticed that. Yeah, so look for the blue check for for real yeah, because yeah, there there are check. a lot of like or the blue or the blue beard. On yeah, the not necessarily exactly. so because apparently a lot of people are copying the blue beard thing. They do that too. Yeah. Well, listen, man. Thank you again so much for everything you've done. I hope it's not the last thing you do with us. Yeah, I'm here for you guys. Whatever you need. I don't want to kick Jay out of the drum seat, though. <laughs> I, but I appreciate need, that. Anything you need, I'm here for you. I, I'm, a, I'm, you know, not only uh, 
you know, a friend, but I'm also a fan and a big supporter. So, uh, you know, anything you need, I'd love to play on some more, even if it's, uh, you know, just a tambourine hit or playing uh, a bass part or something, you know, whatever you need, I, I would love to be uh, your honorary um, Cult star. special yeah. guest whenever whenever you have a spot. Yeah, awesome. you, yeah the re reoccurring... Um in, in TV, what do they call it? The reoccurring role, right? <laughs> in right. cult stars, and yeah, we will, we will, we will be calling you Thank again you. for other stuff, guitar and bass, because you play all that. So yeah, I, um, I'm loving doing that. I'm playing more guitar and bass than drums during this yeah. break. Absolutely. Good, I think you know, for everything yeah. I've seen you do, you're good at it. So like, by well, all means, you. you know, we'll we'll reach out to you for that as well. So cool, great, I would love to. Cool. Well, best of luck, man. I really, really am so happy you guys are back together because I'm such a fan of the fuzz bubble stuff. So this is uh this is such an, a nice refreshing reunion and I'm so glad to be hearing music from you guys again. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for helping kicking this thing off too, because this is super. This is a an awesome thing. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, hopefully the world will get back to normal soon and you guys and Licorice Quartet could do a a, a package tour uh, together. How about that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. from your mouth to God's yeah. ears. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Cool, man. Well, thank you guys. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work, guys. We're